0: I feel like I'm doing so much for my patients, but it's not showing in terms of outcomes. Why am I here? Why am I so incompetent? What's going on? Like this is my place. I think yes, this this is my thing. This is what I want to be doing.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. Greetings CBD Junkie fam. I'm your host, Dr. Lawrence Doan, and today we're joined by Dr. Emma Turner. Since having graduated from UWA, she's worked as a house dentist, initially in Melbourne's Southeast, and more recently in Darwin. Um, In addition to her clinical interest in the management of patients with complex medical needs, craniofacial development abnormalities, dental facial trauma, and oral pathology, She is passionate about research, having spent two months at the University of Utah investigating prenatal therapies for oral facial clefts and having been involved with the molecular profiling of oral potentially malignant diseases or disorders while at UWA. Dr. Emma Turner, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, Lawrence.
1: So, full disclosure to our listeners, I mean, Dr. Emma and I know each other through our ads days. when I was vice president and she was the convention co-covina. So, please forgive me if I'm being a little bit informal, Dr. Emma. So, before we get started, Dr. Emma, tell us about what it's like moving across three states.
0: Oh, I guess I've kind of normalized it now. I, yeah, one of my friends made a joke that I need to change my life every two years and that's probably not untrue. Um, no, I think... I, having been locked into eight years of uni and like 12 years of school in WA, um, was very eager to see a little bit more of the world. And I think because when I was doing my undergrad, I had the opportunity to go on exchange to the UK. I kind of got a bit of a taste of life outside of the beautiful little Perth bubble. I know everyone kind of knocks it, but... There is a lot going to Perth and I've got like very gorgeous friends and family there so I can't complain but equally I think I just um, was eager to get out and um, kind of work in other centres just to broaden my exposure to different ways of doing things and also just have a bit of life experience so um, yeah although I, I think I didn't realise until my most recent move how decentralised everything is. Like everyone needs a different working with children card and like everyone has different number plates you have to switch over to. I think the like the minor logistical inconveniences definitely are over, like are outweighed by the excitement of moving to new jobs and to meeting new people. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely worth it.
1: Yeah, because I mean, like, look, lots of recent graduates contemplate, you know, whether they move interstate or because, you know, they might not know many people there, you know?
0: Yeah, oh, I think as well, like the, the answer bubble and all the experiences that I would had working and studying elsewhere have been very... Uh, fundamental in giving me exposure to networks in other cities. So I think everywhere that I've moved, I've had a lovely kind of established network, even if just of a few people that's made the transition pretty easy. So um, I think as long as you put effort into cultivating your friendships and maintaining connection with people, everyone's super friendly. Like as soon as you kind of pop up in a city, everyone's like, oh, hello, coffee. Let's do it. so, yeah, I think obviously it's hard initially and kind of transitioning from meeting so many new people to solidifying your friendships and building a sustainable network in a new city is a, a tough one. But um, I think I've, I've lucked out today.
1: No, that's good. That's good. Nothing like, uh, you know, losing your splint uh, during the transition or trying to find oh, a medical professional. I read my
0: article. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we lost the splint and then we, we cast it into the washing machine after my lovely orthodontist colleague offered to make me a hard soft one and the soft liner warped, but it's okay. I have I've <laughs> got a splint now, so we're in business. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, okay, let's let's dive into your CPD dental journey. So you graduate. So what happens when you graduate?
0: Oh, what happens when I graduate? Uh, I frantically threw my life into a suitcase and zoomed across to Melbourne. I think my first job I was incredibly lucky with. So basically in in my final year, I had been put in touch with who's, someone that's now one of my best friends, Laura Chen. And she was the the dental reg at Monash at the time. Um, And kind of within a 45 minute conversation with her on the phone in kind of March, 2020, in the midst of lockdown, um, I was pretty sold on this job. And so I was very, very lucky to be given the position because I know it's it's a bit of a tricky one. Um, and so basically, like, got my life together, moved across to Melbourne, um, did a 1,000 online mandatory training modules, my goodness, <laughs> um, and then learned myself um, in this little clinic in Monash. And so um, for those of you that aren't familiar with uh the Monash kind of hospital situation it's a it's a tertiary hospital that has an adult and um pediatric campus side by side which was kind of the, the perfect case mix for me I think I, I really enjoyed the the combination of the the trauma and the inpatient care and outpatient care and we kind of popped up to the theater and zoomed across to ED when we got calls from them so the the gig was one in two on call which during COVID was fine it was it was actually really good it gave me a lot of structure and opportunities to learn when I got there um because I think they were they were kind to me they gave me a couple of days to settle in and then I was holding the on-call phone um and I remember very vividly my first after hours call <laughs> um it was like a 6 monther that had a dental alveolar fracture and kind of buff- well yeah buckly luxated mm. um one, and had to had to extract that in ET, which was an interesting experience. Um, so I was well and truly thrown in the deep end, but very well supported because we had um, you know, such a well structured setup with input from. So we had four orthodontists, and endodontists that came once a month on a Friday, um, two training MaxVax regis, and also a couple of weekend on call that we were always able to talk to, um, lots of MaxVax consultants and oral med specialists um oh my gosh what have i forgotten it's terrible oh, <laughs> and two prosthodontists um, one of whom has very happily retired now but um we were so well supported in our in hours commitments um, and john our dental consultant who wears the special needs hat there um i don't think he sleeps he's up with the birds and he if you ever had a call <laughs> you'd give him a buzz and then two seconds later he'd pick up wide awake very helpful um So it was kind of this funny mix of being exceptionally well supported by very qualified, very patient and caring people. But then also just like having to navigate hospital land um, with a degree of handover. But I feel like that never fully prepares you for navigating the hospital system. Like I came from UWA, which was a good course, but very much geared towards private practice like i did 14 units of crown and bridge when i was there but didn't do a single completely independent extraction other than on an external rotation that i organized myself um (laughs) so yeah going from that to a public hospital job um was definitely an adjustment and like no one tells you how to organize an emergency theater like how do I call anesthetics? Why do I call anesthetics? What's happening? Like, um, so I think it was it was a very steep learning curve for the first couple of months, um, but settled in in no time and the the first so I was contracted for one year and then you reapply to stay on as the dental reg for the second year and I didn't have a doubt in my mind that that was the best decision for me because the the team and the scope and the variety and the learning was just exactly what I was yearning for when I finished so I don't know if that answers your question but um (laughs) yeah it was it was a really really amazing first year out I think
1: yeah, I mean, let, let's unpack that a little bit. Obviously, so you said you've got this this access to a lot of different specialists that are both dentally and non-dentally related. But like, I mean, if you're working there, you know, do you have a senior clinician that's, uh, you know, um, that you're working alongside who's also a dentist? Or you know, when you're at emergency, you know, are you going in there by yourself, or are you, you know, there's another specialist there that's working with you?
0: Yeah, no, no, when we pop by ED, we take our little toolbox, little mirror, little torch, off we go. Um, Some things don't change at dental
1: school, hey? No,
0: exactly, you've got to have that tackle box. Um, Yeah, so our consultant was always on call to support us and we had to, in theory, run all of our decisions by him if we wanted to admit someone to the hospital um, or if we wanted to take a patient to theatre. But whenever, because we're just so lucky to be supported by all the other medical teams as well like by the end of my two years i it was just it was so hard to leave because you just you to an ed and you're like oh my gosh hi how are you right i'll see your patient and then you're like okay yes ivy ben pen and metro please it's our running joke that that's all we know how to say um <laughs> absolutely not true. We're, we we have good antimicrobial stewardship but um <laughs> yeah just um all the the medical teams have to provide advice there are so many people that you interact with along the way that provide guidance and um yeah so i mean there was not necessarily always someone physically there with us but um our so our manager sam bailey is the most beautiful person and she was kind of like the the mother hen and matriarch of that service um and so if there was no one physically there that was kind of a trained specialist in that area she would because she'd been there for 12 years and she ran a tight ship she just be like and don't worry like you don't have to do treatment today we'll rebook with this person we'll get them in on this day um but in terms of the acute emergency stuff um, we we're really lucky because there was always one fresh grad dentist and then my registrar. so in my first year i had so one month with my beautiful friend Laura that I was talking about before and then the rest of the year I spent with Brandon Lim who is the most exceptional person he'd come across from the Alfred so was hospital trained but also fresh to the Monash job when we started so um he was just so approachable and we were kind of little buddies in it together so um he was always there to ask as well with a little bit more experience so um yeah they're always always questions that could be asked and people that could help us
1: yeah I mean the other question is like you know people are afraid when you're in the hospital dentist especially when you're you know in such a you know specialized kind of like field right I mean when people talk about courses they talk about you know just general dentistry which is like crown bridges Mm -hmm. like you said you know endo and all that stuff like how do you upskill you know in this field
0: yeah, so I'd always joke our scope at the hospital kind of starts where the therapeutic guidelines end to an extent. The clown um, book. Yeah, the clown book. We love it. But also um, we kind of, we, yeah, it was, it was a funny kind of dichotomy between having, for instance, Friday mornings we'd be in the ortho clinic um doing all the treatment alongside the orthodontist for the cleft patients and so it was largely handing instruments and putting on mods and chatting to them and booking them in for their ortho exos that we could do but it was more of a um, a supportive role so going from that kind of capacity to kind of managing all these really complex patients is kind of like zero from zero to 100 um in yeah. that sense but um in terms of yeah, we, I guess we we had a bit of an extended scope working within the maxvax unit. Like we would do, um, kind of minor oral surgery and um, and soft tissue biopsies fairly independently, which was something that we were well trained to do. So we always had that direct supervision in terms of upskilling, um, and we we're in theatre. So we had two maxvax theatres a month, two dental theatres a month. Um, and in the Fax theatres, the 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 yeah the, the consultants, as long as there was enough time on the list, were like, okay, you are doing the whizzies, um, or oh yeah, you can nucleate the cyst, or oh do you want to raise the palatal flap? And there was always scope to kind of in this controlled learning environment, especially in theatre, because it's um, I guess in terms of learning opportunities, if your patient's asleep. They don't need to know that this is the first time that you're doing something um obviously they're appropriately incented and it's a safe and controlled environment but there's someone that has time to kind of hold your hand and um give you step-by-step guidance without spooking the patient i guess um so yeah i think in terms of cpd i guess because i was I, when you sent me through the questions i was thinking gosh what do i actually have to say but I have done some courses but for the most part it was largely on the job training because we had so many different things to learn um that were job specific um and so many people that were willing to help us to kind of progress us procedurally and academically um and point us in the right direction of key papers that we should be reading and um yeah i think that was a nice thing everyone was very evidence-based and um
1: yeah no, that's fair enough. I mean, there's a lot there. So, I mean, in your first year as well, you're the Australian Dental Graduate of the Year in 2020, right? <laughs> flashback, flashback, okay. So, what happens this? Because you're going through COVID at this point, right? Yeah. And and so, you've got this kind of going on, and what's with all these online CPDs? Tell us about it.
0: Oh, uh, I mean so in terms of online cpds the the australian dental grads program did have a couple of things but um yeah so uh, it it was more like the mandatory training from the hospital that i was alluding to in terms of all the the modules and things manual handling safe prescribing all the usual um kind of things that you need to work through when you start a public job um but i think in terms of navigating the COVID experience it was very easy because with my on-call responsibilities the care that i was providing was considered to be medically necessary we had a constant stream of patients that still needed their cardiac surgery so we had to do clearances for them we had to do um all the the pre-anti-resorptive workups we had people coming in I guess having deferred their treatment through 2020, um, and kind of just put their their toothpicks on the back burner and come in with huge spreading odontogenic infections, um, and so and yeah, kids were kids were still falling over at home having their Humpty Dumpty moments, and so uh, there was there was always something to do, and I think it was actually quite nice in the sense that it wasn't just constant go 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 booked patient. It was the case of just waiting for calls, doing stuff kind of systematically, giving yourself time to learn the system and talk to patients. And um it was it was actually really nice and I got to kind of like spend a bit more time getting to know the team, obviously without N95s on. But we I think 2021 was the perfect time because we were very promptly vaccinated, felt very safe. Um and, yeah, it was, it was a nice, sustainable introduction. And it also meant that with my weekends and after hours on call, I didn't feel like I was missing out on as much socially because I, I had a bit of structure in place to go to the hospital. I was like, yes, give me something to do, please. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, it wasn't bad. I think in the second year when I had more of an established network, things were a bit less covid um, The Yeah, the, the on-call became a bit harder to kind of configure around my life well, my life became harder to configure out my on core responsibilities because obviously that takes priority. Um, but yeah, the, I, I feel like I didn't feel COVID as much as perhaps, perhaps the rest of Melbourne did. And I'm very lucky for that. Um, so, it was still, yeah. still normal, hey? It, and- not completely normal, but we, we had stuff to do,
1: which was good. <laughs> yeah. So amongst all of this, you're doing your primaries as well? Yeah.
0: Give so, so I mean, look,
1: primaries is full on, right? Primaries is full on. You're working like hardcore at this moment. So, tell us how you, you know, prepare it or how you found the best way to kind of prepare and tackle it.
0: Yeah, you kind of just got to chip away bit by bit. I was very lucky in that I had a group of friends that had done it in the year prior, And
1: so, they provided me
0: with a bit of guidance in terms of some of the questions that they were asked and their approaches to study. Um, and yeah thankfully they like they'd done very well and so I, I took their advice very seriously um, I think I kind of just micro dosed it throughout the year and just listened to their lectures when I could wrote my notes and read the textbooks when I could um, yeah it was it was a bit of a slow burn and I kind of just built up my little like subject bibles in terms of answering all the practice questions and um reading around the topics and i yeah obviously there are some topics that you find intuitively easier than others i'm a big histology nerd which i I think is a bit controversial because i really like the developmental embryological kind of side of things um whereas physiology which sounds a bit funny working in a tertiary hospital where most of our patients are like systemically complex i think the physiology side of things maybe doesn't intuitively agree with my brain as much because I seem to overcorrect my negative feedback loops. But, um, yeah, really enjoyed the histology, really enjoyed pathology um, in terms of all the the systems reviews from that perspective. Um, Laurie Walsh is an exceptional lecturer. He's very engaging. Um, So the microbiology side of things was quite easy to go through. And then I'd done a, a molecular biology undergrad, so the biochemistry kind of side of things was... Good. So I think, yeah, it was just a matter of giving myself enough variety, not spending too much time fixating on all the things that I didn't know about head and neck anatomy. But I guess I was lucky from that perspective because we were in theatre with the, the Max Facts team um, and I got to see like biomaxillary osteotomies and um, and orbital blowout repairs and that kind of thing where you actually get to see all the anatomy exposed once they've done their soft tissue Um I guess the, they've raised their flaps kind of thing. And so you get a bit more of an appreciation for the anatomy, having seen the clinical side of things, which I think I really appreciated kind of revisiting the basic sciences, um, having had a little bit of clinical exposure to kind of solidify things It hits differently the second time compared to in first year when you're just overwhelmed by trying to survive and um, working out what a tooth is. So, um, yeah, I think I, I was very lucky in that I gave work a heads up took two weeks to do the exams and also two weeks before the exam period to study. Um, And so, but also you don't have to do it like that. Like my friend who was studying medicine finished his med exams six days prior to the primaries, having listened to maybe half of the microbiology lectures and nothing else. I gave him my notes, admittedly, so I guess he had a little bit of a springboard to um, jump from. But he got commendations in all of his subjects having studied intensely for six days so i don't know i think there's there's no right way to do the primaries as long as you kind of commit to enjoying the process and learning the content um
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're just saying it like this so if i just recap basically you're saying like the best way you found most helpful was basically starting early and just doing it slow because like the hardest part about it is you know you're doing a full-time job and then you got to find some time in between so you know here you are you know just trying to get through the day and then at home you're just like burning the slow you know the midnight oil just trying to like churn through these these modules yeah
0: no I was I was definitely more of a weekend studier because I would get home from work and I'm very prone to just like flopping on the couch and taking a I was gonna say a moment, but a good couple of hours <laughs> to rehumanize after like a day of feeling a little bit incompetent or just like running around and not having time for lunch. And um, yeah, I, I definitely like to kind of take time to decompress on the weekdays and then wake up refreshed, go to Pilates, have a coffee, enjoy my weekends, but just kind of chip away at the content slowly. I think that was my yeah. that was my approach, to the balance.
1: Yeah. And then allowing that extra few weeks before the exam to kind of just kind of consolidate it all and prep yourself mentally before diving in.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Unless you're, it's like your friend and then you just, you know, just knocks it out in like six days.
0: Superhuman human though, that man. I, I don't know. He, he somehow did it. But yeah, I guess got to have that focus if you want to do max facts so
1: maybe that's it yeah i mean you've mentioned a few, fair few names here and there so you know uh who's been pivotal in your career path yeah so far and you know why I'm
0: mean, you have lawrence
1: i've got i've got all the time you know just just you know just lay it on me
0: yeah so i think someone that i always credit to kind of um plunging me into the hospital space is Daniel Sinderace. And so he was our special needs lecturer um, who were very, very lucky to get. So I think he came to UWA when we were in our third year. So we had him for our didactic teaching in third year. And his lecture style was very unlike any other lecturer that we had had. Um, so basically, we'd just walk into his classroom. He'd put a couple of things on the board, but otherwise, no lecture slides. would just have these chats with us throw questions into the audience. I I don't really deal well with awkward silences, so I guess I'd answer some of them because I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, And he just has the most systematic kind of approach to thinking through problems and such a pragmatic um, and He's basically like Khan Academy for Special Needs Dentistry. I think is probably the easiest way to explain it. Um, And so he was just exceptional. And I feel like he was one of the the first lecturers that I kind of interacted with. where I was like, yes, this this is my thing. This is what I want to be doing. Um, And so we're very lucky to have him in third year. He kind of tutored us a little bit in clinic on Wednesdays. Um, And then going into our final year... Um, when we had our COVID lockdown period, there was no COVID in the community in WA, but the dental school hadn't quite worked out their transition back to uni plan. And so I messaged him and I said, hi, any chance I could come to the hospital and do a couple of weeks of observation? So I said, yeah, sure, bring a friend. So I took along Tom, one of my dental school colleagues, um, and we did two weeks of just running around after him at FISH, um, going to infectious diseases, MDTs and um, kind of shadowing all the visitings um specialists and um yeah it was just it was such a good two weeks and I think having spent the first three years of dental school thinking I'm so inadequate I can't drill this square thing with a round burr I have no idea like I I feel like I'm doing so much for my patients but it's not showing in terms of outcomes why am I here why am I so incompetent what's going on um I think that was kind of the first time being at Fiona Stanley Hospital where I was like this is my place i think i think i can keep doing this and so i guess like touching back on um your mention of that award that i somehow came to win i think it was mainly just because i spent the first couple of years of dental school looking for external pursuits to kind of give me some form of um kind of purpose outside of um all those little failures in the first couple of years of dental school. So then, when I got to Fiona Stanley, I was like, actually, clinical dentistry might be a thing that I can possibly do. Um, and so, yeah, so I had a really, really good time at that rotation and then eventually had another two weeks with him. Um, and Tom, Tom and I basically sat him down and we were like, Daniel, how, how can we be you? And he said, well, we should apply to these two jobs in Melbourne. He's very good friends with the head of unit you know, at the Alfred as well. And um, so we had some chats with him um and he was he was just exceptional he was a referee that i'm very grateful for um and i it was really nice i was at the racds conference last year um and bumped into him gave me a big hug and he said when are you applying to training can i be your referee and so almost cried didn't quite but um yeah (laughs) he's been a really really good mentor um, kind of in the in the dental school years. Um, I guess someone else that I have to think, thank as well is Mehdi, who is one of the endo registrars at the time that I was going through training. He was the one that was my little viva um, mock examiner. And he, so we had a nice little symbiotic friendship in the I'd his son, year nine English, and then he'd grill me for case pres. Um, and so, yeah, he was, he was the one that kept me going, kept me um, kind of surviving through the exam periods. Um, and then, yeah, I guess just the extended Monash team as well. All of them were so wonderful in terms of like the first time you meet them, they kind of say, so what do you want to do? What do you want to achieve here? Um, and they kind of, they know where your interests lie and they support that, but also they're always there in terms of teaching and mentorship. Um, and so, yeah, I, I couldn't have been luckier yeah, with that job. Um, and Sam as well, our little men- uh, our manager in that role um, I think I was kind of talking to you before about how she was our little welfare champion and really looked after us. If we ever had a hard day, she'd send us a beautiful text, like, and hard day for you. But and then just send us all these beautiful words of encouragement. Um, so, yeah, I guess they always say it takes a village, and I've, I've had a pretty good village. Um, there's yeah. so many other people as well that have been really transformative, like my research mentor in the US, Rena. Um, so, I met her when I was volunteering at IDR. She was the, the keynote speaker at that conference because um, she works in um, basically the, the prenatal management of clefts, is where her current research direction is going. Um, but there's a lot of genetic overlap in terms of hyperdontia um, and midline palatal. Development And so she kind of began um, working in a slightly different research area, but she is an absolute boss lady. And she gave this talk that was kind of the perfect intersection of my undergraduate research interests in terms of the molecular origins of disease and precision medicine. Um, and my dental interest in craniofacial development. And so I heard her talk. And then at the end of her talk, she wrapped up by saying, if anyone's interested, um, you can always make contact with me and come and shadow in me in the lab. Um, so I went up to her at the conference. We both wearing pink it was a sign. <laughs> Um, and I was like, Hello, if there's any way that I can come and work with you, please let me know. She's sure, here's your bus- here's my business card. Um, and then I had the most incredible two months with her, and she was such an exceptional mentor in terms of the the scientific side of things, but also just in terms of navigating um careers as a woman in dentistry, a woman in healthcare. Um, and she, she was beautiful, like. She invited us all over for Christmas and was very much our little kind of home away from home as well as being an exceptionally talented clinician scientist. So, um, yeah, we've, we've still kept in touch every once in a while. She'll give me a ring um and we'll just talk about how I need to go and move to the U.S. and work at the NIH with her because she's now moved across to D.C. um to work as the director of dental and craniofacial with the NIH so um it's it's something I'd really love to do but also now that I've kind of um found my passion and drive within the clinical dental space I feel like that's something that I'm still kind of working out in terms of relinquishing my my clinical side of my practice, I guess, unless I can work within an um, an academic kind of like teaching hospital world perhaps, but we'll see. That's probably not for a few years yet.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, like people would be interested. People want to be interested in, you know, that academic pathway and, you know, what it would have entailed or, you know, um, how to kind of get into it. And I think you've kind of alluded to it, which is, you know, just attend one of these talks and they may offer an opportunity and then you just got to reach out and then you just got to follow through with everything else that kind of follows.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, I think if you find the right mentor that's passionate about sharing in their success and building a strong community of like-minded professionals or researchers, um, if you're asking the right people, they'll inevitably say, yes, we'll make this happen. We see the potential in your kind of your application or in your um your approach to dentistry or to research and if you resonate with these people deeply enough you're probably going to get the answer that you want you're probably going to be able to get into these opportunities so um yeah it's probably a bit bold of me on reflection to just run up to the keynote speaker i didn't do it straight away but um it's just so approachable and I, I feel like that's also what I hope to achieve as a mentor within dentistry. Like I've got a bit of teaching through the hospital, which is really lovely because we've got the JCU students up here. So on a Tuesday they'll come through um and I'll kind of grill them in the, the same way that Daniel used to grill us and just be like, okay, yeah, so what's the significance of this medication and what would you consider from this? And I think they kind of squirm a little bit, but I, I think they like it. Um, So I think just in terms of mentorship and supporting the next generation of dentists, I tend to gravitate towards people that share my philosophy in terms of wanting to channel a little bit of their learning into um, supporting the the upcoming generation of dentists, I guess. Um, And it's also really nice from my perspective to be like, hey, I've actually learned something over the last two years, let me share it with you. So um, yeah. (laughs) exactly so yeah i think if you get good vibes from these people um and they're warm and approachable that's the kind of day-to-day mentorship that you want anyway like if you run into a problem in the lab or in the clinic you want someone that you feel like you can ask questions and so i was yeah very lucky to have found that in rena and in my other clinical mentors as well
1: Hmm. But I mean, like, let's say if I don't do, I, I, I've, you know, been doing clinical dentistry. I don't have any research papers or anything behind me at the moment, but I want to kind of dive into it a little bit. And anyway, how would you go about doing it? Would you say, you know, reach out to, you know, your universities? um back then and then just kind of see if you can dive in somewhere is that how would you doing yeah
0: to? absolutely yeah i've got a couple of friends that are doing that at the moment um they're working with the orthodontics department at uwa i think because they're trying to see whether that aligns with their clinical interests as well um but yeah i think they're always looking for people to take on more research projects and um yeah i i guess it might be harder we were quite lucky at uwa in that there was a very strong um research um to the university's activities i wonder if the the rural unis have as much going on but there's yeah definitely any of the the dental schools or the research institutions that are affiliated with the unis should have dentally related projects and um if there's anything that kind of appeals to your clinical research interests, i would absolutely say send an email make a call but i think i always find that the easiest way to connect with people is at conferences and i think in terms of cpd i've definitely done a bit less hands-on kind of stuff in favor of going to these big conferences because i i feel like you just meet such interesting people you can attend such a variety of talks that really inspire you um and yeah i I feel like conferences are a good place to make it happen because often they have less formal social events that are a little bit less intimidating um, and everyone's kind of just um, having some nibbles and things and it's, it's easier to approach people in that setting. Um, so, yeah, I feel like in-person is easier because a lot of the academics are probably wearing too many hats and being stretched in too many directions, so perhaps they're not as responsive to emails as maybe we are, mm-hmm. um, which is completely understandable because of all the, the pressures that you can imagine that they have placed upon them in terms of teaching and research and clinical responsibilities and they're probably all working private as well. And I guess that's the, the trouble with dental research in that a lot of people have multiple responsibilities whereas i guess in the the pure kind of basic science research bases that's your full-time gig like you've got cells to tend to or you've got mice that you're raising in the lab and like that kind of consumes most of your (laughs) most of your energy because you're being paid full-time as a researcher um whereas in person it's it's easy to be like hello have your full attention you are here on this conference too let's have a chat so yeah it takes takes a little bit to kind of hype yourself up but it's it's definitely worth it in terms of opening doors for yourself if that's what you want to do
1: if you like this episode drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of cp junkie podcast